0: You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 6pm on August 6th, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. Psalm 8 now, it's only nine verses, but uh, very important nine verses. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Would you pray with me? Be gracious, Heavenly Father, as we unpack this psalm, we pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of us as we consider these verses. Speak to us, we pray, in your name. Amen. Well, there's nothing scientific about this, uh, but time seems to go quicker as one gets older, one or two of you are laughing, the old ones amongst us. Now, maybe I should read out Einstein, he said a few things about time. However, each day, we're one day closer to eternal glory. But there's still so much to do this side of glory. However, the significance of our lives can only be measured in the light of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Whatever we do, it's only when, we, when we're within God's plan that our lives will take on the significance that God has intended for us. Psalm 8 explores the theme of God's majestic splendour. And our puny, if you like our puny, insignificance by way of comparison and yet at the same time and uh, God has created us in his own image and he's graciously crowned us with glory and majesty. He He has assigned us the role of ruling over his creation. All of these thoughts should lead us as the psalm both begins and ends to declare in worship, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, we don't know when David wrote this psalm. Uh, Perhaps it comes from his experience of gazing up into the night sky and marvelling at its vastness compared to his own puniness as a speck on the planet earth. David is strongly encouraging us to worship the Lord because his name is majestic in all the earth and because he has graciously crowned us with glory and majesty. Now the Lord has displayed his majesty in all the earth and in the splendour of the heavens. Now in my experience I've been blessed. I've uh, seen some wonderful sights on this earth, uh, sights of God's creation and uh, I know some of you have as well. Um, a number of years ago we saw the Grand Canyon, uh, been to the Himalayas, uh, seen the Great Barrier Reef and I've seen parts of the Rocky Mountains. Now even David didn't see these magnificent, magnificent landscapes. He was confined to Palestine and you know when you see them, words truly can't um, do them justice. Because it's difficult to describe, mostly you just need to see it. And David begins Psalm 8, he begins it with an ex- exclamation. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And the first word translated here, Lord, in the in the Hebrew, is Yahweh, which is God's personal covenant name. It stems from the Hebrew verb, to be. God revealed it first to Moses at the burning bush when he said in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, I am who I am. It points to God's eternal self-existence. That is, he's always existed. He's the only uncreated being in the universe. And the second Lord, remember, Lord, our Lord, is the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning sovereign or Lord. We could paraphrase David's address here as, O eternal covenant God, our personal sovereign. Although God is eternal and is totally separate from his creation, he has graciously condescended to enter into a covenant relationship with his people as his Sovereign Lord. The word majestic implies here royalty. And even for us Australians, we live under a a constitutional monarchy. We don't properly appreciate the concept of royalty. For a commoner to come into the presence of a king on his throne, once it used to be a frightening, it used to be an awe-inspiring moment. Years ago, as a uni student, I met King Charles. He was Prince Charles then. He visited my university department while we were doing practical experiments. He, he asked me about what I was doing and whether I enjoyed it, and we had some exchange of words. I can't say that I was awestruck, but I certainly was considered in what I said and I was polite in my speech. Now when Israel celebrated God's mighty deliverance at the Exodus, they sang a song in Exodus chapter 15. What did they sing? Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. David says further that it is God's name that is also majestic His name refers to the perfection of his attributes and the mightiness of his deeds. In other words, God's name here refers to who he is and what he has done as revealed in his word. And David also says that the majesty of God's name is seen in all the earth and above the heavens. This is like what Paul says when he indicts indicts humanity for suppressing the truth in unrighteousness in Romans 1.18. He explains then in 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood through what he has made so that they are without excuse. No one is without excuse because of God's Creation. When we consider God's majesty as seen in all the earth, we could uh, we could all cite many examples to keep us busy in contemplation. There's enough evidence in uh, for the Creator when we look at the human body alone to convince anyone who's willing to be open-minded and to think about it. Because we're not a product of random chance over a long period of time. The human brain has 10 billion nerve cells interacting in coordination to allow us to function as we do. Your eyes have about 100 million receptor cells in each retinia, which also contains four other layers of nerve cells. The system makes billions of calculations per second traveling through your optic nerve to the brain, which is more than a dozen separate vision centers to process it. In between the recent COVID lockdowns, I was lucky enough, I was fortunate enough, blessed enough to have cataract surgery. Wow, what a difference it makes to regain your vision. Just the human eye itself is a majestic wonder. Your skin has more than two million tiny sweat glands, about 3,000 per per square inch to regulate your temperature. Your heart beats at an average of 70 times per minute unless you're fitter, 40 million times per year or 2.5 billion times in 70 years. I've used 70 years because that's what we're promised, three score and 10. It pumps about 11,356 litres of blood per day Your body is supported by more than 200 finely designed bones, connected to more than 500 muscles and many tendons and ligaments. Some muscles respond to your conscious will, whereas some react automatically. Your digestive system contains about 35 million glands that secrete juices to digest your food and sustain your life. And we haven't mentioned the lungs and our other senses, hearing, taste, smell and touch, your endrone glands, your immune system and much more. And it all works together and this is just the human body. When you consider the complex balance of the natural world with the hydrological water cycle, the way the plants grow, the, 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 they process carbon dioxide to produce oxygen, the seasons, the balance between insects and birds and other animals, it is simply to, to be, it's absurd to suggest that it all came about by sheer chance over time without the Creator. And David also considers God's splendor above the heavens. Of course, David, he had he didn't have any telescopes to show him. He didn't have any any mechanism to show how big the universe is. What would have thought? What would he, would he have thought if he knew what we know today, the sheer vastness of outer space. And the coordination of all of space is astounding. Now, if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 300,000 kilometres per second, it would take you eight minutes to get to the sun. To go from the sun to the centre of the Milky Way, it would take you 33,000 years. The Milky Way belongs to a group of some 20 galaxies known as the local group. To cross that group, you'd have to travel for 2 million years. The local group belongs to the Virgo Cluster, part of an even larger local supercluster, which is a half a billion light years across. To cross the entire universe as we know it would take you 20 billion light years. Remember, you're travelling at 300,000 metres per second, or kilometres per second. And yet, supposedly, intelligent scientists see all of this and then they attribute it to nature or random chance. Sir Isaac Newton had an exact replica of the known solar system in his day, and he made it in miniature. At its centre was a large golden ball representing the sun, Revolving around it were small spheres representing the planets attached at the ends of rods of varying lengths. They were all geared together by cogs and belts to make them move around the sun in harmony. One day as Newton was studying the model, a friend who wasn't a believer in the biblical account of creation stopped by. Marvelling at the device and watching as Newton made the heavenly bodies move in their, or, uh, their orbits, the man exclaimed, ''My Newton, what an exquisite thing you have. Who made it for you?'' Without looking up, n- replied, Newton replied, ''Nobody.'' ''Nobody?'' his friend asked. ''That's right,'' I said, ''Nobody.'' All of these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together and wonder of wonders, by chance they began revolving in their set orbits and with perfect timing. Of course, his unbelieving friend got the message. But Newton's model was nothing compared to the vastness and the complexity of the universe. Truly, God has displayed his splendour above the heavens. The Lord has displayed his majesty and power in seemingly weak infants through whom he triumphs over his enemies. David knows that despite all the evidence of God's glory in his creation, there are still adversaries that oppose him. People have a bias against God. Well, why do they do that? I guess they do that because of sin. And one of those sins is that people want to be lords of their own lives. They begin by assuming materialism and so they have no place for God. How does God deal with such enemies? David says this. He says, from the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have established strength. Verse 2. What does David mean? I think that uh, Calvin was right when he said that the process of the conception and birth of an infant displays God's splendour so clearly that even a nursing infant brings down to the ground the fury of God's enemies. Now, Calvin, of course, didn't know anything about the, uh, the complex biological and chemical processes that take place in a mother and child at birth. He was just observing the wonder of a newborn baby. And many of us here, we've we've experienced the, the wonder of a newborn baby and held that baby in our arms. How can you look at a baby and say that it happened by sheer chance apart from a creator? But the biological process of birth is amazing. At nine months after conception, the baby's brain... It sends a hormone through the the placenta and then into the mother's uh, uh, pituitary gland. Although it's a complicated chemical, its message is simple. I'm ready. It's time. All of the baby's complex systems, lungs, heart, gastrointestinal system, nervous, nervous system, brain, are ready to make it on their own. The baby's skull is not yet fused so that it can be pliable enough to to fit through the birth canal. As the process starts the baby's adrenal glands, they add a shot of stress hormones to help the baby cope. The child will not breathe until it has cleared the birth canal. If it breathed too soon, it would suffocate. But if it waited too long, it would suffer brain damage. Just before the mother and the child separate, the newborn gets a last-minute blood transfusion through the umbilical cord. The placenta has stored the nutrients the baby needs for that exact moment. There's far more going on that we don't understand, but the cry of the newborn displays God's strength. Beyond this, there is the fact that the little child often... Little children, they often praise God. The Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translated the word strength somewhat freely as praise. Praise. God's strength is seen in creating children, as seen in creating children leads them to praise. What was it on Psalm Sunday as Jesus rode He's donkey into Jerusalem. And then he healed a, a blind man in the temple. Little children saw these things and they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus' enemies, the chief priests and the scribes, of course, they became indignant about what the children were saying. And Jesus replied by quoting this verse, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared prepared praise for yourself. Thus the Lord overcomes his enemies by the marvel of little children and the praise that, that they sing in their simple faith. So David's first and main point is that we should worship the Lord because his name is majestic in all the earth. And then we should worship the Lord because although we are puny and insignificant, verse 3 says, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, compared to the vastness of God's created universe, we are puny, we are insignificant. David looked up into that vastness of the night sky and he saw the moon and he saw the stars and he and the works of God's fingers. God has somehow set them all in their appointed places in their orbits. And David thinks of how small he is and he marvels. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? And the Hebrew word used for mankind It emphasises man in his frail human existence. Compared to the vastness of the universe, what is man that God thinks of us, much less that he cares for us? Years ago there was a a famous American explorer named William Beebe and he was a good friend of President Theodore Roosevelt. Often when he visited the President, they would visit it uh, Sagamore Hill. And the two men would—they'd go out outdoors at night, and they'd—they'd uh, uh, they'd have a competition to see who would see um, the uh, who would locate the Andromeda galaxy first. Now, this is uh, something you see in the American sky. Then, as they gazed at the tiny smudge of distant starlight, one of them would recite, "That is the spiral galaxy." of Andromeda, it's a bit like us. We view a clear clear sky night to spot the Southern Cross. Is that what you do when you go out? You know, you look up, where is the cross there in the sky? Now, Andromeda is as large as our Milky Way. It's one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away And it consists of a 100 billion sons, each larger than our son. And then Roosevelt, Roosevelt, he would grin and say, now I think we are small enough, let's go to bed. What are we? Though we are insignificant, God has crowned us. Verse says, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. Now, pro- David probably intended the Hebrew word Elohim here to refer to God, not to the angels. On rare occasions, it can mean angels or it can mean human leaders. David is referring to Genesis 1.26, where God created man in his own image and likeness. In the same context, God assigned to man the task of ruling over the rest of creation. That's what he's given us the task to do. As David here states, David could have said that we were made just a little higher than the other animals. But instead, he says that we are made a little lower than God to reflect the wonder that we are created in his image. Now, of course, this is a reference to mankind before the fall. But the uh, the Greek Septuagint translators took the rare meaning, and they translated that we were created a little lower than the angels. The author of Hebrews followed that tra- translation in Hebrews two seven because he wanted to make the point that Jesus, for a short time, while that he had been made a little lower than the angels, so that through his death he could accomplish our salvation. Thus Psalm 8 is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ who restores what Adam lost. Man since the fall has accomplished some remarkable feats in gaining dominion over creation. Think of all the wonders of modern science, including the advances in medical science. And yet all of these accomplishments are tainted by sin and proud mankind may boast in them and proud mankind might fail to acknowledge that the ability to discover scientific facts has been given to them by God. And even though we do know a lot, there's a lot we don't know. There's no explanation at the moment for all of the higher temperatures of the... the oceans at the moment, they just say it's climate change. But there's no scientific explanation. Remember the builders at, at the Tower of Babel? We're just like those builders. Proud modern man uses his scientific breakthroughs to proclaim his independence from God. And with a few more breakthroughs, we can cure all of our diseases and we can live forever. But science and our knowledge can never reconcile us to God. So what did God do? He sent his own son to provide the sacrifice for our sins and to fulfil Psalm 8 in a way that we cannot. So Hebrews 2 cites Psalms 8, 4 to 6. And then it applies it to Jesus in Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honour that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. The created man reflects God's glory but the son of man, the son of God in whom the original pattern is more fully realised reflects this same glory far more perfectly. So David tells us to worship the Lord because although we are puny and although we are insignificant, he has graciously thought of us and has cared for us. Although we are marred, we have marred God's image through sin, God has restored it through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus that, we are, that is in Jesus that we are again, again, crowned with glory and majesty. And then David comes full circle and closes his praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so, friends, how can we apply this psalm? Well, firstly, we should bow in awe before our majestic creator because this psalm should humble us, should cause us to marvel at God's grace and his love in caring for us by sending his son As our Saviour. Secondly, we should treat each other with value and respect as being created in God's image. John Piper has said you cannot worship and glory the majesty of God while treating His supreme creation with contempt. And therefore, Christians should oppose all racism. We must treat all people with respect. Thirdly, we should stand firmly against the horrors of abortion, which treats God's majestic creation as trash. From the point of conception, the only difference between the baby in the mother's womb and you and I is time and nurture. To kill the unborn unborn simply because it's inconvenient to care for them is a terrible sin that we must stand against. Fourthly, we should stand firmly against the absurdity of evolution, which denies that we are created in God's image. Evolution is simply a way for sinful people to attempt to avoid their creator. It's one of the great scientific frauds that the enemy of our souls has ever foisted on people. We should rear our children to love, fear and serve God as the only way to make life count. When we are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, our lives take on eternal significance. Sixthly, we should be good stewards of God's creation. While modern man worships the creation rather than the creator, we shouldn't neglect the fact that we are to be stewards over God's creation. And so we should oppose greed that often destroys creation with no regard for its beauty and its preservation and and its significance. And uh, my seventh point is we should take pleasure in whatever work God gives us to do. Doing it heartily. As unto him. As the Puritans emphasized, every legitimate occupation is a God given vocation. No matter what you do to earn a living, you can do it for the Lord, as Colossians 3 22 24 reminds us. And my final point we should enjoy God through his creation. There's There's a great benefit to take a hike. And I don't mean that in a in a, uh, a negative way. To take a hike and to enjoy God through the wonders of what He has made, we should worship God because His name is majestic in all the earth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear gracious heavenly Father, we thank you that indeed Your name is majestic. And Lord, we just pray that as we go out into this week tonight, from tonight, Lord, that you would help us to see that your name is majestic in all that we do. Help us to remember these thoughts uh, in in this week and as we we go and do things. Lord, uh, be with David uh, and Diane as they will see uh, many majestic sights in in the next few weeks in their travels. Bless them and, Lord, may they enjoy that experience and enjoy God in that experience. Lord, be with those who go to work tomorrow and uh, they have to do mundane things, but give them, Lord, that enjoyment, realising that what they're doing is a God-given vocation, a legitimate occupation given by you. And, Lord, uh, for those who are studying and those who are retired, Whatever we're doing, Lord, we pray that everything we do will be to glorify your name. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.